All right, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Pre Podcast today with Florian Brandt. Hi, Florian, how's it going? Um, I'm well, thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for hosting me. Yes, absolutely. So um, this is obviously going to be an interesting conversation because you're doing interesting things, um, as every guest is on the show. So, um, you know, let's start with an icebreaker, uh, which we always do also, the same icebreaker question. It's the easiest question, I guess, for you to answer because you need to talk about yourself. So it would be great if you could kind of, kind of, you know, give us an insight into your background, like professional-wise, you know, where are you coming from? And take, take your time with that, you know, uh, what, what have you done prior to, you know, ending up where you are today? Sure. Um, uh, where to start? So I think, I mean, um, quite relevant for what we are doing at Atai today is um, I guess my my own mental health journey. So Atai is a um, company focused on developing innovative uh, treatment solution in the mental health space. Um, and everything, I think a lot of people that are um, in the team have either kind of worked through some mental health um, conditions themselves or saw friends and family members suffer and not finding the appropriate care they needed. Um, and that was also one of the key driving factors for us actually starting the company. Um, so uh, I basically, my teenage years developed um, you know, severe, I guess, anxiety disorder. Um, and that um, um, I could get hold of through uh, psychotherapy, luckily. Um, so I found a great therapist that was able to work with me and process some of these um, things that uh, were, were going on and also helped me to integrate a very robust meditation practice. And those two then enabled me uh, to um, yeah, move on, do my studies and I, studied economics in Munich, um, did my bachelor's there, and then went on to ESCP and did my master's in management in um, um, yeah, the program of um, USCP Europe or ESCP. And um, then got to know uh, Lars, and um, who, is, who became a co- or who was a co-founder in the previous life, also a co-founder now at this company. And we started a company in actually a completely different sector in the tech, tech um, I guess take more consumer facing um, sector with Springlane and during that time he um, developed a severe uh, depression um, and wasn't as fortunate as I was to find support healing help in psychotherapy uh, and he also didn't find any any betterment of his symptoms by taking the pharmaceutical options that are approved for um, uh, depression in his case so he tried many and many failed him. So he was this very typical example of a non-responder um, uh, mental health patients. And, and unfortunately, we have, uh, if you look at SSRIs, 50% don't respond. So these are kind of the most common antidepressants to these medications. It's in addition to already a distressing illness, it's kind of added another layer of stress. And ultimately, he was um, basically classified as treatment resistant, depressed, had to, um, tried everything, nothing worked, what's available and approved, and had to resign. And out of serendipity came across the academic studies that re researched um, psychedelics uh, in the context of mental health conditions. And that showed large effect sizes, really positive results in um, double blind uh, placebo controlled studies that were researching the effect of psilocybin in particular for anxiety or depression 
And uh, that was intriguing to him. And then I guess long story short, he uh, gave it a, uh, <laughs> intrigued by the data out of those studies, he gave it a try in, in the Netherlands, had a high dose therapeutic session in the Netherlands, it's, it's legal. And there are also therapeutic facilities, um, for instance, in Amsterdam. And that was really an extremely transformational, positive experience for him. So he tried everything that from SSRIs to atypical antipsychotics, and this then really changed his life um, to the positive. It was kind of this one single high dose that allowed him to process a lot of things that were going on for him. And he put him in this deep remission, kind of he describes it also as a curative experience. And that was for us kind of the starting point to really um, realize there's this extreme large unmet need in mental health. So a billion people um, uh, globally suffering uh, from mental health disorders. We have this very insufficient um, treatment or ins insufficient treatment options with kind of low response rate, high relapse rates across those indications. Um, and at the same time, very little innovation has taken place over the last 20 years. And we kind of out of serendipity came across this interesting catalyst for innovation, psychedelics, that no one really researched from a for-profit um, perspective. There were some non-profit companies um, around. And so with Atai and initially also Compass Pathways, we then focused um, on this FDA, so regulatory EMA FDA controlled pathway to get those compounds that kind of have showed promise in academic studies and also anecdotally um, uh, before that in kind of shamanistic, ritualistic uh, traditions like centuries ago. And we we're also quite heavily researched in the 50s and 60s and took basically all this um, prior evidence in humans and then replicate um, those positive or try to now replicate those positive effects that were observed in more rigorous, large, larger scale FDA controlled studies. Um, and from then really broadened out the scope and are now also developing digital therapeutics and I guess, less stigmatized, uh, more traditional pharmacology and have a nice um, diversified portfolio now in our perspective that addresses the fact that there's not this one size fits all solution in mental health. The brain is a complicated thing. Um, the patient population is extremely heterogeneous. So it's depressions, not depression, anxieties and anxiety is very individual different from patient to patient how the uh, disease, disease is expressed um, and what works. Um, one doesn't necessarily work for another. So we attempt with a kind of a broad array of diverse pharmacological agents in combination with our digital therapeutics to really make a difference here for patients. And I'll, let me stop my monologue here. Otherwise, it's getting a little too long, I believe. No, 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 no. That that was amazing. Okay, so um, I think what we need to um, what we need to dive in is uh, is is really into kind of understanding or giving an giving an, an understanding of a tie, um, you know, as as a company. So you know, uh, what, how how how's the operating model, or you know, maybe start with kind of the the early days of like really setting up the company and like where you know where that where did this model come from kind of you know of like okay this is actually what we're going to be building yeah no happy to so we um i guess in a in a nutshell so tai is focused on compounds that uh, as i mentioned earlier have this prior evidence in humans that's true for our psychedelic compounds that we have in development but also for the non-psychedelic compounds and the reason is that in neuropsychiatry you have seen historically a very low likelihood of approval um, so 
there were many failed drugs that it's partially also the explanation for the um, for the kind of 20 years of not of, of very little innovation very little um, compounds that made it to uh, approval in, in neuropsychiatry I mean the biggest uh, in depression at least uh, or most recent one was um, spavato as ketamine 2019 um, which and before that there was really um, very 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 little as I, as I said earlier and kind of our approach to increase the likelihood of success is on a compound level look at this prior evidence in humans so to have a good understanding of the safety of the compound which you usually um, assess in a phase one um, trial but at least on the efficacy side have anecdotal or biomarker exploratory endpoints that point to um, the fact that those compounds might be efficacious in the respective indication they were developing that for. So that's kind of the compound level. And then we applied this portfolio approach because um, in to avoid kind of this binary risk. Again, you have um, seen in neuropsychiatry high failure rates. So we want to have multiple shots and goals, so to, so to speak, that we not rely on one mechanism of action on um, one compound and one indication, but have a broad, broader um, this um, sector approach to uh, successfully get um, compounds to to through the through the development phases to approval and then what's unique about the ties kind of the model in itself uh, when it comes to how we operate uh, or, or how we execute on, on those clinical trials what we usually do is we form subsidiaries so companies around um, is the ip the compound um, often together with the scientific founders or the founding teams, and then provide the capital needed um, based on a jointly defined clinical development plan that we define upfront. So that informs them um, or, or describes the initial phases of development and also informs the capital needs that the company um, uh, has to get to certain milestones. And once those milestones are are hit, we would further deploy those capital to those companies. But we are also deploying um, our own kind of workforce in, in into those companies. So you can think of it as uh, like as similar to an incubator where you're not only giving capital, but also kind of deep domain expertise. And in our case, also um, kind of the, the more than 100 people that are at the tie are hands on working on all of our subsidiaries to make sure that we leverage all the learnings that we gather along the road and then share it across the subsidiaries in the entire ecosystem. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, as you said, right. Like a, like an incubator or like also kind of like a, a venture studio, you know, uh, model and, and kind of, you know, with the goal of spreading, spreading risk. And then, you know, um, as, as you said, with these initial, or let's say milestones, um, I, because there's such a high risk of, of, you know, things not going anywhere. And and these and these and and the work also being expensive, right? So, um, right, spreading risk and increasing, I guess, decreasing risk. So it's designed to decrease risk or increase likelihood of success, and indeed yeah. spreading risk. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, is this a model that has been proven somewhere else um, um, in the same yeah. industry? Because you know we're doing these references right now in right. to software, for example. But like, has it been proven in in you know life sciences, for example? Yeah, I mean, actually, the first time that I came across this model uh, was with Rocket. So I spent some time with Rocket Internet in Kuala Lumpur, kind of, and got kind of got to know that that model. 
And um, that was, of course, the tech space. Uh, but I was intrigued whether we can apply some of those uh, rationales of early on um, avoid, I guess, certain certain and that's not even relevant necessarily for the technical risk of clinical trial execution but in general like company formation company building is it can you increase the likelihood of success by centralizing certain capabilities to kind of to leverage economies of scope and, and scale to a certain degree or just avoid i guess early mistakes that like a, a company lead or a ceo or a founder uh, kind of makes in, in, in the initial days so i think I was intrigued there uh, to see how we can apply it to the biotech space and then realized that there are actually companies like a Royvent, for instance, um, that uh, or a Bridge Bio or a PureTech that is kind of most relevant as they're also um, to a certain degree, at least in neuropsychiatry focused um, and realized that they're actually um, deployed a similar model um, and they and basically inspired by them and like we basically used some different ingredients and made it fit to purpose for us kind of what works for us and then came up with this uh, model and are continuously of course also refining the model um, um, of kind of this decentralized way of developing drugs right so you, you guys have been going for like um, you know four and a half years almost five years uh, what I what I find interesting to talk about often is is, is the the uh, fact factor around timing things um, you know mm -hmm. starting things at the right time and then you right. know um, and then also you know getting the right speed because you can also be too fast you can you can also be too slow obviously um, and I, I and I when I was when I was thinking about our podcast I, I did this comparison to uh, in my mind um, to the uh, cannabis market uh, mm -hmm. so to say because you know it's a um, the, because both um are let's say you know highly bound to to regulation um activities right um yeah. however on the commercial side of things you know the, it has been developing for years right so seats have been taken companies have been developed everything is kind of you know in the in the boxes ready to kind of you know deploy um so for for you guys how how was that around timing you know you you, you already talked a little bit about like okay we saw things in the non-profit sector but like how 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 came that decision of saying like okay so um, we know or we 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 assume that you know we we can actually build something and um, also how did you take into account this this uh, this aspects around timing right so like right being like okay so we will we will we're starting at the right time because you know approximately we'll we will get to commercialization in for example time frame X or whatever and financially or from an economic perspective it makes sense doing this because it's so highly complex. Right. And you and I think you mentioned an important point that is a key differentiator from the biotech space um, or farmer space to others, right? It's regulation, um, which is, I guess, a key key differentiator from like tech where you can quickly yeah. iterate uh, for good reasons, by the way, because I mean, MVPs <laughs> and patients, that's not necessarily a good idea. Um, but um, I think what, what happened in our case uh, is that there was a convergence of, of various factors. Um, so Regulation is one. Uh, we saw um, that uh, MAPS, which is a company that's one of the nonprofit companies that I was referring to earlier, that is developing MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, uh, and they received breakthrough therapy designation in, I believe, 2017 or 2016. 
Um, so a little earlier when we really kind of uh, started full kind of to to um to start uh started with a tie and um then compass got breakthrough therapy designation uh, in in 2018 um and before that esketamin i think in 2015 ish got also breakthrough therapy designation from the fda and the fda is basically the the regulatory body that um approves also in the end um pharmaceutical compounds and the breakthrough therapy de designation signals that there's a large unmet need and they're intrigued by I guess, the innovative potential of the therapies that, we're, that are developed. And then they basically work in a simplified way now described closely with those companies to ensure at least on the regulatory side, this process goes smooth. They still have to generate the data that is required on the safety and efficacy side, of course, but they want to ensure that, that it's, it's a smooth process between the agency, the government agency and, and, and the, the company. So that was, a, a pro, I guess, a signal on the regulatory side. At the same time, you saw kind of an exponential curve developing when we started, and that kind of even further increased in the academic field um, in, the, in this uh, in, in, um, uh, an exponential curve on um, publications on uh, so basically research papers on psychedelics. Uh, and, and especially, I guess, driven especially by psilocybin, but also others like Avogain, MDMA, DMT. So there was a huge interest and more and more uh, PhDs it's, uh, kind of looking at this compound itself and the potential and potential applications for therapeutic use. And then um, that led ultimately also for to the fact that more and more key opinion leaders in the neuropsychiatry space, which were initially very skeptical, <laughs> um, but like once more and more data came out through those studies, that's basically the currency, um, and that's ultimately the currency in biotech. But that was basically then data was basically then convincing them to be a little bit more open-minded, and ultimately, kind of they then more and more and quicker than I initially thought bought into the thesis. Um, that there's a there there, and that's usually kind of the people, so the opinion leaders that us, I mean, professors at universities, for for example, that's also the the players uh, or the actors that are then uh, called um, or consulted when kind of specialist biotech funds make investment decisions, and that all together um, was um, to your point, I think, uh, from a timing perspective, and in hindsight, you can always rationalize it, but it was, of course, there was a serendipity element to it. Um, but that kind of helped us to be able to raise the significant amounts of capital, the hundreds of millions of dollars needed um, in biotech, to um, advance our compounds through the market, uh, through the through the uh, clinical development in a in a um, yeah quite compressed time frame of um, now what four and a half years, um, and at the time of the IPO it was uh, I guess three three years. Um, so it was a quite dense, <laughs> dense time frame. Yeah. So you 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 said it yourself. You um you know you had your first entrepreneurial kind of journey already prior to that, right? And and mostly you know have been in the in the tech world, so to say. And mm -hmm. uh, also, I guess you know being being at Rocket and stuff, uh, you know being embraced with this one typical type of founder. Uh, so. Uh, you know, in, in the biotech uh, world, and especially when you have founding teams, which are, um, um, you know, where the key key actors are scientists, right, or where this right. kind of intellectual uh, component is, is, is has such a such an important role. Um, how difficult is it to find, you know, these type of founders? 
or you know to to actually put together teams that um you know can 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 be founders in that space and how does it differ differ to you know being a founder in that space compared to let's say for example you and i building a um you know software for example in procurement or i, I don't know something else yeah i think um in our case it was a little um a little uh, i guess maybe different from other therapeutic areas mm -hmm. uh, given the compound focus that we initially had so and that goes back to kind of psychedelics being a highly stigmatized um kind of vilified group of compounds um given kind of the the um kind of nixon administration's um uh scheduling process that they introduced that ultimately led to via the un to um to the fact that the research was researching those compounds were made was made very very i guess difficult and also to to a certain point wasn't wasn't um people couldn't people in research couldn't get a lot of reputation from working on those substances yeah. um so there was this political backlash that led to people that were passionate about those compounds not to be able to access the, the amounts of public um, grant funding but also not for-profit funding um so there were some researchers regardless that kind of kept um kept the research going so deborah mash is for instance one of the the great examples um so she's a professor at, at the university of miami focused on um ibogaine so ibogaine is one one psychedelic and um when we when we started there was we were one of the first for-profit players in this field that were bold enough to kind of raise the money and have the money to then partner with those scientific founders that were sort of kind of um kind of frowned upon like they weren't so it was very hard for them to uh to be um taken uh, yeah to, to kind of find investors because it wasn't a, a hype then it kind of used yeah. to be over the last years and that was i think helpful for us because we then partnered with those people um like deborah deborah Myers that are really deeply scientific expert on their compounds and then um in addition to the uh, to the to the capital could provide them with our drug development expertise that we centralized on on the on the platform and that we saw also with other um, programs that we initiated um so i guess in our case it was a little little special because there there was um we, we were a very first mover and it was i think easier for us to access those people and make them excited to work with us interesting and then globally i guess overall i mean in a more structured way now when it comes also to the more um uh the non-psychedelic compounds also there by the way you saw that big pharma kind of moved out of the space of neuropsychiatry leaving behind again researchers and ip and compounds that we then ultimately picked up and now have in development um and uh I guess there's a similar kind of pattern here, like actually with it, like, like with the psychedelics. And ultimately what we basically do now is have very close relationship with universities, labs, um, and um, kind of early researchers. For example, we have a, a great partnership with NGH, which is going to be University Hospital of Harvard, MIT, um, where we have a good research collaboration and um, fostering these kind of partnerships to have access to talent and access to interesting science to fuel our drug development pipeline is, I would say, more probably more traditional way and going forward to ensure that we have a, a good um, 
we, we see interesting innovation coming across our desk. Right. Um, so if we if we talk about your, you know, kind of market, so to say, or, um, you know, or your also kind of competitive landscape, uh, you know, as with uh, every uh, vertical or every kind of like sector um, related to, let's say, uh, venture capital uh, and, and funding, you know, yeah. there, there has been a lot of activity everywhere. So obviously that does not leave you guys out. <laughs> and so like a lot of activities, a lot of companies and, uh, you know, uh, you, you read a lot of things here and there, um, you know, kind of this thing being picked up by, 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 by many things, uh, by many people. And yeah. so if you look at the space right now, how do you, how do you, you know, try to obviously take a neutral perspective, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, how do you, you know what what are the players that are kind of you know tagging along with you guys um you you mentioned you quickly mentioned uh pharma kind of you know leaving le leaving things out are they stepping back in what is it what are the dynamics right now especially also taking into account i think what's quite interesting given the current economic um situation that we're in um how how are things looking yeah i think there, I mean, you mentioned in uh, I think one of your previous um, questions, kind of the cannabis analogy, mm -hmm. and right. certainly what you've seen is uh, because people kind of made that connection, and uh, there, um, and in our perspective, kind of to a large degree, wrongly so. There was like a lot of hype going into this. It kind of it's an edgy topic, kind of you, yeah, yeah. it's kind of a clickbait topic. So you um kind of yeah there was a lot of attention on this um space and people partially focused on kind of this recreational angle that we're kind of for us is um um not uh kind of the route that we are taking we are developing those as part of, kind of as medicines and want to make them part of the medical system and um i think that led, led to a lot of companies um literally mushrooming uh in, especially in canada uh on the can on the canadian stock markets and we see now in my perspective a healthy correction that yeah. that um you basically can then also uh to see what companies have now focused on companies that develop psychedelic substances for therapeutic use um are actually legitimate and are worthwhile kind of also uh, yeah, taking serious while i think there's a healthy correction for kind of the others that we're in for kind of the, the hype and trying to kind of make make quick money not really really serious about developing medicines for for patients um so i think there's a that's a healthy correction that is taking place and then i guess we are much broader ultimately than psychedelics as i mentioned uh we are also looking at non-psychedelic compounds and here um and defining us as a mental health company that is pretty much agnostic when it comes to mechanism on the pharmaceutical side but also modality so we we also look at digital therapeutics and ultimately want to get um want to change i guess the life of patients to the better and not really not really specifically focus on on one or the other like as long as it really makes it truly forward um for for, for patients and here we have also um, we have a, a broad array of players. And you mentioned Big Farmer, um, so they are. And you also mentioned that they kind of stepped out, as I said. And we see that there's a tendency that um, we, 
I would say there's interest in those compounds and that already manifested quite early for some first movers. So Otsuka Pharmaceuticals is a Japanese company that earlier on uh, came, uh, actually invested in compost pathways. That's the company uh, that is developing psilocybin um, assisted therapy with their COM360 molecule. And um, they also partnered with us on the R-ketamine compound. So there is definitely appetite if you, if you kind of use them as a proxy for larger pharmaceutical companies. And we see um, overall a heightened interest in deal activity taking place from, a, from an, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, a activity between pharma and, or in general in the biotech, in, in the biotech space. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers your. It answers your my question. question. Yeah, so, so, uh, it, it, yeah. Def it, it definitely answers the question. And and also, you know, uh, uh, to be fair, I it was quite a, quite a broad question, but I, I still think it's 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 interesting to kind of you know uh, talk about the overall ecosystem. You mentioned as well uh, digital the therapeutics. Um, you know, another field where uh, a lot of uh, actors are in. Um, a lot of activity also, especially on the mental health side, um, across ob obviously uh, during the last uh, 24 to 36 months um, due to COVID. Uh, but that's something uh, that obviously everybody has uh, knows who's in the kind of in the space. Um, I, I would I would like to get your perspective on this. I mean, uh, I saw that you also have, uh, I think, one company, right? Or or how many mm -hmm. in, in the digital therapeutic space? Yeah. Um, uh, why is uh, how important or how interesting is that space to you from a digital therapeutic perspective? Um, also taking into account that there are so many players and how do you think can uh, or where do you see, see kind of the key differentiator or, you know, kind of winning strategy to, uh, in, in you know, in, for example, having a portfolio company in that regard? Yeah, no, totally. And then that goes back to actually what we um, with the time want to achieve i mean our ultimate vision is to heal mental health disorders so that everyone everywhere can live a more fulfilled life and as breaking down and making it more concrete is actually want to achieve clinically meaningful and mm -hmm. sustained behavioral change in mental health patients ultimately and the way that we want to achieve that is through kind of a three-pillar approach the one approach is that we um partially already addressed. This is why we're developing um, drugs and pharmaceutical agents that have a improved profile on the efficacy side, for instance, a more rapid acting onset. So for us, if you look at SSRI, so currently improved first line antidepressants, you have to sometimes wait weeks and sometimes months until they, they actually um, start working for you. And there's this trial and error approach and we are developing uh, and are very much interested in developing more rapid acting so like a, that have in days um, uh, or maximum week, like like a week um, a, um, a rapid act, acting onset um, of effect and that's kind of one of the, the key focus areas on the efficacy side um, and then all those compounds have in common that they have strong neuroplastic properties mm -hmm. that open up this window of behavioral plasticity, meaning you mm -hmm. can leverage it to kind of induce this behavioral change and to kind of really establish a sustained behavioral change. We believe, and that's coming then to your question, that digital therapeutics will play a key role by providing ongoing psychotherapeutic support and helping to form and maintain certain habits um, 
in, integrated in, in your daily life kind of by having your app and that's kind of this the, the software company that you re referenced in, called introspect and with you that helps you on an ongoing basis to um integrate the insights that you had in for instance a psychedelic experience and then help to kind of form habits out of those to change your behavior in a sustained way and then the third pillar um is uh, our precision mental health approaches and here we want to use them this digital therapeutic that is also um, uh, has a lot of potential for digital phenotyping meaning you can um, based on digital biomarkers identify certain subtypes of patients mm -hmm. and then cater to the fact that we have this heterogeneous heterogeneous patient population that is again so different from one individual to another yeah. And then based on those digital biomarkers and potential also biological biomarkers um, help to move into, into the kind of the precision psychiatry um, mm -hmm. realm, making the therapies that we provide much more personalized. And that can be um, that you at some point can select what therapies are right for what patients. In the more in intermediate, uh, immediate um, future, we're looking at dynamic redosing so um, often you kind of see static redosing so every patient needs to kind of take a compound uh, or uh, a drug in a i guess once per day once per week once mm -hmm. per x while not really dynamically assessing the mood for instance in depression of those patients so is it really necessary to redose everyone at the same time or can you actually make this more dynamic and that's something that we're looking at um, and want to use the information that we can gather through digital therapeutics to improve the general um, therapy that is then deployed. Um, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, and it makes it makes total sense. It's, it's kind of like the the, the, the uh, extension uh, from the compound therapy. Um, to, right, you, know, so the, the, and the, you see, totally, and, and you see also that SSRI is so kind of first line antidepressant combined with psychotherapy are already are more effective. So there are a lot of studies that show that the combination is more, more powerful than mm -hmm. the standalone each. And that's ultimately what we want to leverage yeah. here as well. A question is, so, so, you know, uh, I'm going to ask the question if, um, I mean, you have a lot of, uh, you know, obviously a, a lot of things on your plate. So, you know, if, if, if that, that, that one's a little bit too difficult to answer, but that's just one th thing that came across is like, whether it was necessary to, you know, to have a standalone company because there's so many companies that are, you know, ultimately what you what you what you were speaking about of like the the ability to kind of you know on on the the device right digitally mm -hmm. basically kind of track the individual's activity, therefore kind of you know digitally phenotyping the person and you know having having the information to to blend in basically in order to then adjust for example on the compound uh, therapy side of things yeah. right isn't that something that because there has been already so many players that develop, for example, an SDK or I don't know, like a solution that is literally tailored around, okay, you know, let me track uh, the individual's um, engagement with the phone, for example, um, mm -hmm. and, all, you know, utilizing all these different kinds of sensors, um, extracting the data and having basically kind of, you know, certain insights about that person and then putting that together with for example additional information right wasn't that isn't that like wasn't that a, a solid option like why why build a standalone or why have a standalone company for that so what we usually do is screen the market and see whether there's innovation out there that um i guess we can buy so we always mm -hmm. as part of the buy and build approach look kind of can we buy 
or do we build ourselves? In this right. case, we we didn't come across um, a company that fulfilled the requirements that we we needed mm -hmm. for those combination approaches. And okay. we need to also to so there's a lot of in-house knowledge required in our perspective. And whenever kind of irrespective of Atai or other companies that are kind of I, I started or was involved in, I believe like the core competencies should always be in-house. Um, and with this company, I mean, it's a hundred percent owned subsidiary. We wanted to have the core um, capabilities in house to actually develop those um, those um, co uh, um, combination therapy of drug and digital therapeutics. We're um, not the very first one, but it's it's early days still. Also from a regulatory environment, so there's not a lot of company. There's pair therapeutics. For instance, that combined a drug and 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 uh, an app that got approval in opioid use disorder. Uh, there's a company called Achille that kind of also took a gamif gamification approach or game to treat uh, uh, to treat um, a mental health uh, condition. So there's precedence, but it's early days, and we want to be really um, having the requisite expertise in house to ensure that we uh, yeah can iterate and quickly also pivot and develop our own solutions that we really need for our own therapies. And that kind of worked so far very well with, with this in-house solution. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and also it gives you, uh, yeah, totally right. Uh, also gives you an advantage because once you are, um, you know, are going through clinical or have, have, have gone through clinical trials with, you know, a specific compound and can actually, you know, start treatments, for example, you can, you know, automatically kind of you know put the your own extension because it's part of your company put kind of like you know the, the digital extension kind of you know as part of the overall treatment so as you described it right it's having kind of like individual components that make up the overall treatment so yeah yeah and it's a, and it's a very modular setup so again we, we kind of created the backbone um mm -hmm. and this allows basically to quickly then generate um very um, tailored, I guess, custom, customized and content that is required for different indications, different sort of psych yeah. psychotherapeutic elements for um, the compound or um, indication that we are pairing it with. Um, Interesting. Okay, so um, you know, let, let's talk about uh, treatments in general. So, how far are we off? So, uh, you, you know, the interesting thing about a tie is, uh, you know, obviously, I need to say that uh, as somebody. Uh, that is also uh, partially German, right? Uh, is that uh, uh, it's it's also kind of a German company, right? So it's uh, mm -hmm. you guys are based in 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 Germany, the US, and and also UK, right? Um, right? And those are all three different kind of uh, you know those are three individual countries with individual laws and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, let's let's talk about that. Let's um, you know let's talk about this distribution of of your company in these let's say three hubs uh in new york berlin and, and london and then talk of, and then you know shift that so why why these three hubs right and then shift to towards um you know actually uh treatment right when 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 are we getting there yeah um so that was actually um kind of that organically to a certain degree evolved so we always prioritize so we built the large portion of the company actually during the pandemic so it was always kind of remote first um, during that time, as no one kind of was really able to meet in person, um, and early on, um, 
decided to I guess hire the people um, or, or or prioritize hiring the right people versus having everyone in one um, one uh, room or in one city and um, it's it's also not easy to get kind of U.S. Uh, people that have families kind of and roots and rich with children in kind of respective schools to kind of then move to Germany. So we uh, my my kind of early very, very uh, couple of months after we started um, the company with um, Lars and Christian, my two co-founders, we uh, Srini joined us as the scientific co-founder and he's San Diego based. So we have another hub in San Diego and also one in Boston. And the reason here is that there's a lot of um, talent in both. So both are biotech hubs and there's a lot of um, you know, biotech talent that we wanted to access. And that's kind of was one of the pragmatic reasons why we said, yeah, we will also hire uh, people in different locations and then over time we realized that it's important to cluster because you have to kind of in my perspective give people room for human connections interaction um, it used to I mean zoom and certain productivity tools the tools are great to uh, for transactional work and we IPO'd the entire company for instance uh, during the pandemic um, and all that related work was done on a very transactional basis but at some point when it comes to ideation idea generation the creativity it's so important to have kind of a space where you can kind of interact with each other and that's why we then clustered and also focused the hiring around those five hubs so san diego new york boston and london and berlin and uh, in addition to that try to get the company together at least once a year to um, yeah, establish and ensure a high degree of cohesion and um, connectivity um, across the teams. So that's um, I guess the answer to the hub um, question. <laughs> um, and um, in, in I think there's a large large German DNA. Um, I'm also spending my my large like the, the majority of my time in in, in Germany and. Um, we have the headquarters there and also one of the largest teams is basically based in Berlin. But then, and I think that I partially already answered that, but like wanted to be very pragmatic and seeking for the best people. And the US is such a, the US biotech market is operating on such a different kind of speed level, probably compared similar to Silicon Valley and all the other um, hubs in the tech space that we wanted to have that US exposure and the presence in the US. Mm -hmm. yeah um totally makes sense uh so if if uh, again you know those are three different um you know again uh, you know these let's say three three countries right have three right. different uh regulatory kind of uh you know uh, bodies obviously and there's different laws and, and, and things are moving differently and uh you know in, in terms of you know regulations um how where is the closest kind of place towards uh let's say us seeing treatment um happening you know within the next uh next couple of years um so we're very much u.s focused mm -hmm. um so um, basically prioritizing u.s and then quickly i guess afterwards kind of you, you often see companies then also seeking kind of european ema approval um and that is I guess, much more complex because of the the way that the the european regulation system regulatory system 
is then kind of breaking down into the different countries again. Um, but the, I guess the, yeah, this, 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 uh, the first um, compound, and you might be referring to this psychedelic compounds, we most likely will see in the US and that will still need a couple of years. So the companies that we're involved with are um, about to enter so a phase two and Compass Pathways is about to enter phase three. Um, ultimately MAPS is the most advanced. So they have completed one phase three and are currently um, in their second phase three. And um, also here it will take some time. So maybe one or two years, I'm not sure what their exact guidance is to see uh, like if they kind of convince the FDA based on the data that they're now generating in the phase three to um, get an approval and that would be us in the us market yeah interesting that's uh it's 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 so uh, so interesting to think about like um that there's such a high dependency of of you know of regulation before you actually you know from an economic standpoint from a business perspective are allowed to make money right so right you spend a lot of money you spend a lot of money you embrace a lot of risk right and then there's totally. still this like one underlying big risk factor in in general, which is you know, um, you get approval. Yeah. Itself, right? Then there's regulatory risk, and then there's a technical clinical yeah, yeah, um, yeah. trial risk. Um, totally. And I mean, ultimately on the regulatory regulatory side, for good reasons, right? Right. So they have to ensure uh, that kind of those compounds are deployed or developed in a very safe way, yeah. uh, and that the data is robust enough to to yeah, to to give patients access to novel therapies. But you're right; it's um, a lot of upfront investment in yeah. drug development is very important. That's also why IP is so important yeah. in the space. And interestingly, kind of in the psychedelic ecosystem, there's this um, notion that uh, you shouldn't patent a plant, um, and that's kind of oversimplifying things to a large degree. Yet you just need a lot of, to your point, upfront investment and a certain time. And that's what obviously IP gives you, a certain mm -hmm. time frame yeah. to recoup this investment then once you get approval. Um, and that's what we are, to a large portion, are also focused on through novel approaches in formulations, um, showing um, yeah, non-obvious and novel um, things by developing those compounds that we deserve um, kind of this IP protection for, for a certain amount of time to recoup the, the large upfront investments that are needed. Right. Uh, you know, what's interesting to me as well is uh, in, in, in taking into account your, uh, your background as well. So I recently spoke to a founder in, uh, in the health space or in the health tech space, which um, so the, the venture focuses around, uh, uh, around, um, addiction basically and 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 so uh, the the person basically had a so the founding team has like uh, so it's a scientist obviously there's a scientist and then there, so the the ceo actually worked in healthcare before right mm -hmm. so and, and 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 so the founder basically said like that um so that it's actually quite difficult uh to 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 you know being kind of a first-time founder in in healthcare right because healthcare mm -hmm. is so specific and now mm -hmm. you're in biotech right and 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 that and now we're talking about the complexity of of you know uh actually building a working economic model right <laughs> which is a, which a business is ultimately yeah. um 
so and it's interesting for you right that that you because you don't you didn't have the background in let's say mm -hmm. biotech right you were not coming from that how was that for you like how big of a learning curve did you have for like the past five years <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, certainly as steep as it can get. I mean, <laughs> um, and very grateful for that, uh, kind of that I kind of could could take that path because it's not, as you, as you say, it's not, and it's also quite unusual. So um, if you look at other kind of CEOs of the space, it's usually PhDs uh, mm, yeah. in a scientific background. So um, I think what actually, with why I'm where I am or why we are where we are as uh, as as a tie as a whole is actually because we were coming not from within the ecosystem mm -hmm. because within biotech as I as I mentioned earlier a lot of the specialist biotech venture funds they didn't want to touch psychedelics and uh -huh. they were like it was kind of frowned upon it was stigmatized it was like it will never work there were a lot of naysayers in the ecosystem and um due to the fact that we actually came from the outside quite naive with a lot of naivety um, and um, this healthy I guess first principles approach in my perspective yeah. and no reputation to lose when you're in this ecosystem um, you know everyone you know every professor in your psychiatry and psychiatry and uh, so you have high risk actually to touch those because if everyone says don't touch this this will never work and you touch it then Right, you have a reputation risk. Right, right. In our case, we we didn't face that and could just um, through a healthy logical approach. Um, and we saw like so much promising evidence anecdotally through Lars, but also kind of the data was building up that kind of we pushed kind of from the outside and all took a kind of an unusual route to make to make this work, and then focused on building um, a team, a culture that just allows for kind of this entrepreneurial and um, I guess radical innovation uh, seekers to find a home and then kind of in a fruitful way uh, collaborate to bring kind of the innovation through the clinical trials. And um, I believe for that, you don't necessarily need kind of a healthcare background. I think once you understood the unmet need and understand how biotech works, uh, it's important to know what you know and not know. I'm not a scientist, and then build a team that has the requisite knowledge and development expertise that has successfully brought drugs from idea phase, kind of very preclinical early discovery stages to approval, um, and foster just like a, a good culture of um, yeah collaboration and innovation. And I think that is what we're quite successfully um achieving with the time but isn't isn't it difficult then as well because you rely as well on partnerships obviously right and and then people you know kind of institutions right let's say research uh, uh i think finding a researcher who's interested in this in this in this let's say domain right and then saying like hey do you want to do something that that's not difficult obviously but like you know other other let's say um partners right that 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 you are relying on in order to move things forward or to kind of like you know move your operations forward wasn't it difficult to you know establish those of like especially because as you said you did not have the let's say reputation or you, you were kind of like an outside player coming in and saying like hey you know we're like a um our team like a G german team is coming in like saying like okay so we want to do psychedelics <laughs> so, <laughs> so wasn't that difficult um, I guess yes and yes and no. I mean, uh, to a certain degree, partners. I mean, it started with simple things like having a bank account in the U.S. 
um, yeah. because federally cannabis is not legal mm. and it's very hard for cannabis companies actually to open bank accounts and also banks then thought cannabis equals psychedelics mm. and they weren't really uh, initially understanding that we're we were a biotechnology company that <laughs> was developing actually that was doing research so uh, that kind of then kind of led to some interesting discussions and a lot of explanation needed to actually um, open bank accounts uh, and, and there was a lot of education needed and that's kind of an example of a um, I guess not specific partner to biotech but more broadly just like running the business so um, and then we uh, were also in the fortunate position um, quite frankly that with Christian we had someone who uh, has his own family office who kind of made a fortune in kind of his early 20s with a initially also biotech company and have had the requisite comp comp um, capital himself to actually push us to the initial through the initial milestones where we kind of demonstrated tra traction and then um, through that we're able to raise significant funds and also um, um, when, once we realized that I guess the more traditional funds were hesitant then basically also took a quite pragmatic approach and then realized that the Silicon Valley was the tech more tech investors like a Peter Thiel like a Steve Jurvitz and Future Ventures um, that they were uh, it's much more open and then um, partnered with them to get to the next stage and then at some point when we kind of made more progress generated some more data um, in kind of preclinical models and, and patients and the biotech investors slowly came on board and that that was kind of the way that we took I would say kind of pragmatism yeah. kind of naivete uh, and a lot of I guess grit needed to kind of push through the resistance yeah. that we initially experienced all right so you know maybe kind of as a last um, last round of question here uh, so what's uh, critical um, you know kind of achievement or you know uh, milestone for you guys in the next let's say you know 12 months or so or you know in the, in the near future so to say because uh, it's, it's interesting times right uh, also from a funding perspective and everything so I mean you guys yeah. are a publicly traded company but anyways uh, you know what, what are you guys approaching a crucial moment what's what what's worthy to share yeah I mean we are um, with our last earnings call we announced a reprioritized pipeline uh, that um shows kind of our focus or yeah our focus on clinical stage assets so we have now eight clinical stage assets uh, in in development that we're that we're focused on and um we structured the pipeline and our I guess, internal capital needs in a way that we have runway into 2025 so um when you're a pre-commercial company um as we discussed earlier you need kind of a, a solid amount of funds to kind of keep the innovation engine going and you usually do that by um uh, through kind of value inflection points and we designed the pipeline in a way that we over the next two years we have for those eight um clinical programs in development and uh, we have basically eight meaningful value inflection readouts coming up um that we don't need to raise additional funds for so we have um uh, basically through the combination of our venture debt facility um, the um, up to 175 million um, non-dilutive debt facility combined with the 312 million as of june uh, 
uh, 30th uh, have sufficient capital to execute on those clinical trial milestones. And of those clinical trial milestones, the most Im imminent or immediate ones coming up um, is uh, there are several phase ones, and the most important one for still this year is the R-Ketamine proof of concept study, um, where we are, uh, are running a trial in Europe, also in Germany, by the way, uh, in 93 patients um, exploring um, R-Ketamine uh, for the treatment of treatment-resistant depression. And we will have results for that study towards the end of this year. And that's certainly kind of one of our, our um, yeah, biggest biggest milestones coming up in the very near future. Amazing. All right, Laurent, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for, uh, for taking the time. Thanks for being on the show. It was really great having you. Thank you. Thanks a lot.